Hi, welcome to Life Struggles. On this show, we interview or just chat with people who have mental and physical health issues, addictions, relationship problems, and anything else that life may bring you as a struggle. We give hope and our own advice to others from our own achievements. Our goal is for you not to feel alone in your struggle. Our guests range from actors, authors, professionals, and ordinary people like me. At the end of this podcast, if you would please hit our bell, that little bell up there, so that you will be notified of any new episodes that drop. And also, if you would give us a rating, we would deeply appreciate it. And now, please help me in welcoming our next guest. Hi, this is Christy with Life Struggles, and I have with me Arizona Lindsay. Hi, honey. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Been looking forward to it. And thank you for finding time in your schedule. I know it's got to be really busy. Um, so, Lindsay, I just want you to jump in and tell my audience why you started into the mental health um, advocacy. First of all, thank you so much for having me. This is such a cool opportunity, and I've seen some of your previous interviews, and they're so inspiring um, for me. So, um, yeah, I guess... I grew up around mental health, like ill, like mental illness, most of my life for the good and the bad. I started to um, realize that I had, you know, a caregiver or both caregivers who struggled with their own mental health. I think around high school, when you start kind of building that sense of awareness, but unfortunately at that same time that I was realizing that it was because I was realizing that. I was now starting to struggle with the way that I saw myself, the way that I saw the world. And um, it wasn't a very healthy or positive outlook, but it was definitely normal for what I had been through. So for me, my story starts by, I think, going through a lot of that and then getting into studying mental health as a way to recover. Okay. So, um, Was that an idea that you got from somebody else to start studying it or did you just come up with it? When I was in high school, um, actually Demi Lovato had come out about her struggle with self-harm and I had not told anybody that I was struggling with that. And so hearing somebody even talk about it when I didn't even know that it was something people did. I didn't know what it meant. I just knew that I had these problems. And it was the first time that I ever heard about what therapy was, what self-harm was, what mental health was. Um, These weren't things I learned in school. And it was, that was my cue that I needed to talk to somebody. Good for you. And I, you know, I think they need to do a lot more talk about that. And I actually think in junior high, I think junior high is a really, really hard time age to go through you know you're going through the changing of the hormones and all that and I think a lot of kids start then 
with having the mental health issues and they don't know what to do at all, especially if they don't have parents that have either been through it or recognize it or whatever. So um, I actually try to reach out to even that age group, you know, to, to stop it from going on so long. So um, I, I appreciate what you've, what you've done with that. And so I wanted to ask, so did you go into any type of counseling? Uh, there was a few, I would say, failed attempts for me to, okay. to try to get into counseling when I was a teenager. And then in an attempt to show people how distressed I was, I was able to um, get into a regular ER and didn't even know that like a psych hospital was a thing. And so when they offered for me to go, I was so excited because I was just like, someone tell me what's wrong with me. Someone fix me. Tell me that I'm crazy. Tell me how to fix all of this. And then mm -hmm. to go to a hospital and talk to a counselor and realize like a lot of this, yes, you have issues, but a lot of this is what you're going home to, to for someone right. to tell me that when this whole time I thought it was in me, this chaos was in me, um, changed my life. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. So, and that was at what age you were, you said in high school. My first hospitalization was in a 10th, the end of 10th grade. Okay. So sophomore. 15 or okay. 16. Yeah. yeah. Depends, depends on when you started school. Right. I think, I think I was 15 my sophomore year. Cause I had, I know I, I was later in getting my driver's license because I was a young I, I had to be a junior in high school to get my driver's license and everybody else was like a sophomore. So, mm -hmm. okay. So then that leads to how you conquered it. How did you conquer that? Well, it's kind of, it's kind it's of a little bit of a curveball. still ball, on a but... daily basis, right? Don't, don't we do stuff on a yeah, daily so, basis you know, for ourselves? Yes. I, for me, um, I ended up kind of getting better and then going to college and thinking that all the trauma I went through was behind me. And after my mom unexpectedly passed away a few years ago, I started struggling with these symptoms of what I now know as a trauma disorder. And I would say the effects of that changed my life forever and and will continue to be something that I struggle with. But a big part of my recovery is um, learning to maintain the symptoms of it. And that could be small things like even when I'm having a day where I'm really tired, finding just a minute to journal and read affirmations. And um, these are things that help me. Of course, everybody's really different. I would say yeah. one of but the biggest things that helps this. me. Yeah, yeah. Because um, some people was, don't even know where to start, you know? Um, and so if they hear what helped somebody else, they could try it. It doesn't mean that it's always going to work for them, but, you know, then they can hear somebody else's, but, you know, give us good ideas anyway. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I post a lot of different ideas for uh, daily self-care and different things that are specific to trauma recovery, which I think 
almost everybody with different mental health conditions, even if it's not a trauma disorder, can utilize those resources because then, you know, if you have another mental illness, you're at more risk for having trauma. So, um, but music has been my personal biggest support in everything that I've gone through. So did, okay, so I'm going to jump back a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. What I'd like you to do, if you don't mind, is because the audience is going to want to know, like, what are some of those symptoms? So, if you so could go through, you know, and I, I obviously know that everybody has some different symptoms, but if they hear some of yours, it could, you know, like strike something inside them that, hey, I've got that. You know what I'm saying? So after my mom passed away, I started experiencing uh, symptoms of a, what I now know as a trauma disorder, but I didn't know then. And a lot of that for me looked like losing time. And like, I mean, my whole life, I would have these kind of intrusive memories. I didn't identify them as that. I thought people just sometimes remembered things very strongly. But for me, this took a shift into completely not realizing where I was and what I was doing and talking to people in past conversations that weren't there. I thought I was, I thought I was experiencing psychosis and I, I was scared. I was having nightmares. I think one of the biggest symptoms for me that later did turn into um, another diagnosis was having a lot of dissociation. And so for me, that was a lot of what we refer to as cognitive disengagement, where I would be sitting at a red light and all of a sudden someone's knocking on my window asking me if I'm okay. It's like they went through those stages of being really mad at me for not moving to like is she all right to, you know, and it's so scary because it's like you're waking up and you're already awake. And I had no idea what was happening in my body and not eating really wasn't contributing to um, those symptoms getting any better. In fact, it really made the symptoms much more exaggerated until I was hospitalized. So when you were hospitalized, was that um, your choice or, or somebody else's? Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I'm just laughing. Uh, dark, dark humor. I'm like, wasn't my choice. No, um, I no because I don't, I don't know what state you live in, but there's so many states that have different laws. So like in our state, um, in Illinois, which I, w- I won't even go there, but you know, they've changed a lot of the laws and like number one, you can't make anybody go get help with mental, with any mental issues. If, as long as they're allowed to speak, whether they're uh, in the right state of mind or not, they have a choice. Nobody can make them. And I've experienced that myself with my mother-in-law in in the last three years, trying to commit suicide after she lost her husband. And, um, you know, I would call suicide prevention. They could go over and talk to her, but they could not make her get help. They couldn't take her to the hospital. They, nothing. So that's why I ask: was it your choice? Because if it was her choice to go, she, she could also make a choice when she was ready to leave. Now, if you're going through a psychiatrist and you actually tell them I'm suicidal, then he has to take that um, medical 
whatever you call it, you know, that he has to do if he knows somebody's going to try to kill themselves, he can put you in. Okay. Right. If you tell him, if you don't say nothing to him and he just suggests it, then they can't make you. So that's why I asked you that. When I was being open about, because to me, you know, when I, after my involuntary hospitalization, I was only released because they were like, you need to go to a specialized program. You need to be in a trauma center. You need to go to someone who specializes in what you have. And nobody knew how to help me. And I ended up having to travel across the country to go to a treatment center that might help me. You know, I didn't know what I was walking into. And I, mm -hmm. you know, am begging my insurance to let me stay you know, and basically, unfortunately, threatening my life over it, saying, if you release me, I'm going, I'm not going to make it. And um, they don't care if the insurance is but like, that's more of a cry <laughs> for help. You know, that's just a cry for help. It's a, it's a, it's pleading for help. Like people say yeah. it's hard to ask for help. And the reality is that you often have to beg for it with the way that our, um, if you're not, privileged enough to afford care and I remember these trauma therapists are looking at me these guys travel across the world teaching people about trauma-informed care and what that actually means and they're looking at me like half of us are in this industry because we have experience and the key is healing to make sure like heal people heal people and mm -hmm. that for me changed my mindset for the rest of my life is how I saw myself instead of seeing myself as tainted seeing myself as I can do something with this and I can create a life worth living if I don't give up okay so that leads to once you went through all this treatment and stuff so what made you think of music well music for me I've been like, have you always music. loved music? Yeah, um, I was just about to say, I've been playing music since I was in second grade. I started drum lessons in second grade, but since I could probably walk and talk, I was like singing and writing songs and um, creating my own little bands. And then right before I was hospitalized, this is actually kind of crazy, but two weeks before I went into trauma treatment, which again started with the involuntary hospitalization leading into a voluntary mm -hmm. trauma facility. But two weeks before that, I had won this really big competition called the Your Big Break competition, which is over here on Long Island. And I had won and I didn't even get to like process. I, oh, I no. couldn't, I was so malnourished and so sick that I couldn't have processed it. But I remember being in treatment and being like, oh yeah, like, <laughs> before I came here by the way like I'm a singer songwriter and they were like oh and and they actually let me they broke some of the rules um you know because I, I wasn't a danger to myself at this point but they they broke some of the rules to let me play guitar and write music and so instead of writing trauma narratives where I could easily dissociate and talk about it like it was a textbook I would write music where I was really forced to be present with what I was you know singing about and that ended up turning into my album, The Process. That's that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, I've got, my, my husband had just told me like last week that you're on his playlist. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> um, and then 
my son called right before that's why i said like i shut off my phone because my phone goes off all the time um and he called me just before and he was like talking and i said i have to get off i'm getting ready to do a podcast and he said oh who today and when i told him he's like oh she's on my playlist i love her so i'm like good i'm 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 glad that's amazing i know i know so yeah so tell me did they put you on any kind of medications <laughs> and did you um, a lot of people get put on medications when they shouldn't be or they they're not right for them and sometimes that leads to worse things um, they could actually use those medications to harm themselves. So um, I always like to talk about different ways that we can help ourselves than medications. Not sometimes people meet, you know, need medications like schizophrenia. I mean, I understand that. But with men, with any kind of mental health awareness, um, talking about that, I always try to do the holistic way first on, on my end. So you started to tell me like you do some affirmations. Do you do any type of um, like I teach yoga? Not I don't teach meditation yoga, but we do do some deep breathing before, you know, it's it's strengthening and toning. But a lot of people I have noticed when um, they're in recovery from whatever it is, will turn to some type of working out or they'll turn to some kind of hobby. And that's what they'll concentrate on. So were you, were you, you said affirmations, what else were you doing? So um, to answer your first question, uh, yes, I, I do take psychopharmaceuticals to help manage my CPTSD and a lot of the symptoms that are, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, mental illness of any type is, something that's happening in the brain. And although I think that there can be, well, I think both ends, right? There can be a lot of stigma that people don't need medication unless it's super serious, which is not accurate. Absolutely. And then there's, you know, the other complete opposite part of the spectrum of people who definitely over-medicate and they're not, they're assuming that there's this magic pill and they're not going to have depression or, or bipolar disorder anymore. And neither one of those is healthy. You know, it's an aid. It's kind of like taking for me, for me, it's creating a different baseline, right? So if my baseline, right. when I first wake up is I struggle with uh, not having energy and feeling very understimulated and more than just groggy, but we're talking about could easily not be showering, could not be getting right. out of bed. My right. joints hurt. Taking uh, and I don't share the specific names of medications just because it's so different for everyone, but taking my medications, which do involve a mix of stimulants and antidepressants creates a baseline where now I'm getting out of bed. And then the work doesn't stop there. Now we're talking about affirmations to help maintain positive thinking, um, taking a few deep breaths. I don't do meditation because it is triggering for me, um, like somatically, but I mm -hmm. do my own type of breathing while, um, doing something with my hands, like I'll paint or something or draw. Right. Oh, I love to paint. And I'm not really paying attention to it. I'm really focusing on just the counting and the breathing and reminding myself I'm safe, reminding myself what day it is, um, what year it is. And, and then, you know, 
sorry, I feel like I'm going off, but like, you know, applying, mm-hmm. I think a mix of self-care that is every day and then grounding tips that can kind of come and intervene when things start to either go too far above like baseline or too below. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, honey, please don't do that because this, this stuff is important and like I, like I said before, I mean, everybody has their different ways. Um, what I want to point out there to everybody is before they take that medication, well, yours is probably from a specialist, but a lot of times MDs will prescribe stuff and this is not putting them down because I know they don't have time, but, you know, pharmaceutical salespeople come in and they, they drop off medication and they say, here, this is for this. And then you'll see this MD just go, oh, well, here, take this. This is what this is for. And you don't know side effects. You you know, you don't know what not to take with it. So my suggestion to people is before you start taking anything that you, you contact your pharmacist, because the, the pharmacist has to know all the information as far as, you know, what you can take with it. And in fact, my son is allergic to um, peanuts. And who would think that any kind of medication would have peanuts in them? But he was prescribed an antibiotic. And thankfully, of course, I read everything anyway now since I found out about all that. But before I even got home with the medication, the pharmacist called me and he said, bring that back. Your son cannot take that. He'll he'll actually... He could die from it within seconds. And I'm like, why would she prescribe something that, and he's like, because they don't have time to check into all this. So luckily he caught that. So that's why I'm saying to people, you know, it's not that MDs, regular doctors are trying to give us something that's bad for us. They just don't have the time to look all this stuff up. So I personally don't. Um, and and I would say that it's related to some of my trauma. So there's definitely a strong emotion behind this sentence, but I don't feel like MDs should be allowed to prescribe psychopharmaceuticals if they are not specifically educated in mental health. And part of that is that I agree. Um, I'll use myself as an example, but I was prescribed something that um, at the time I was struggling with uh, during all of this that I was talking about with not eating, as I mentioned. And Mm-hmm. Um, to the naked eye, I didn't look underweight to the naked eye. I didn't look obsessed about my weight. I didn't talk about it. And this person prescribing a medication that I suggested knowing that it had you a suggested loss, that I medication. <laughs> oh, I walked in and I was like, listen, you know, I happen to know that this could help. And, and this, and the guy was like, he, I mean, they had already put me on so much stuff. So he was like, sure, we can we could put you on that too. And I, when I got to the trauma treatment center, oh, they were so, they looked at me and they were like, did you have something to do with that? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I, they prescribed it though. So obviously it's good for me. And he's like, yeah, not if you're anorexic, (laughs) you know, like they don't know this other information and they don't know to ask questions like that. They don't know. And they're not looking because, and, and and they're not supposed to be because it's not their area. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, that's what I try to tell people. I'm not putting down MDs because we need them, but they're not specialists. You know, they're, they're, they're there for the small things, for the colds and the sinus infections, that kind of stuff. 
um, you know, and, and you prescribe a benzo to someone who has an alcohol problem, you can right. kill them. Exactly. You, know I mean? you don't know. Uh, just, just a small example. So two weeks ago, just out of nowhere, my, um, my heart at rest was like going sky high and I'm, I'm active. So my normal heart at rest is like 60, 62. And I wasn't getting sleep at night and, you know, I wear a Fitbit watch. So, you know, it tells me, you know, how good a sleep I got because there's so much REM that I try to get in and deep sleep and stuff, you know, it makes you totally feel better. But um, I, I had woke up, it woke me up. I had chest pains and back pains and just this massive headache. And so it kind of sounded like a heart attack coming on. I'm like, what the heck? I'm, I'm really healthy and I work healthy, but you know, it could be in my family or whatever. Um, but I wasn't going to mess around with it. So, okay. So I did call an ambulance, but they, we don't have a hospital here that actually has their own ambulances. They have an outside source. And so they told me it'd be like 18 to 20 minutes before they could get there. Well, I could have been dead by then. So I actually called the police and let them know that I was driving to the hospital. This is the route I'm taking and I'm going to go fast, you know, but anyway, I got there and I, this just amazed me, amazed me. So I was not having a heart attack. You know, they did the EKG right away. Um, and my, my rhythmic stuff was all normal, um, but they still didn't know what was wrong. They went ahead and put me way back far away from the people that were all sick at the time. Um, but the doctor came in and he said, so I'm going to run some tests. Would you like some fentanyl for your pain? Really? That's the first thing he offered me. Mm. Fentanyl. Does he not know that that's like the biggest drug around right now that is helping people die? Because they don't, I mean, it's a street drug too, right? Um, people are mixing yeah. it with antidepressants, with anxiety medicines, and they're dying. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe he was, I, he asked me my pain level and I said three. What the, I've never, ever been offered fentanyl, ever. And he asked me three times before he released me, sure you don't want some fentanyl. And the nurse actually said to me when he released me, because he didn't come up with anything. So I was going to have to go to my medical doctor and get a prescription for a specialist. This was just outrageous. But he, you know, he asked me again before I left, would you like me to send you some home? I said, no, I don't, I don't need fentanyl. I need to find out what's causing these symptoms, but I don't need fentanyl. I wasn't in that much pain. I was worried that the pain had something to do with what was going on. But I wasn't like, right. oh my God, this is so awful. And so he left and the nurse said to me, I'm so sorry. She, she said, I can see on your face how that's traumatizing you. I said, it worries me. It's not traumatizing me because I said no, but not everybody's going to say no, you know, especially drug addicts, you know, they're not going to say no to it. So I'm like, you know, it, it was scaring me that he's going around offering something like that to people. Um, and 
it's so bad right now out there. And she said, and I don't know if it's because he's older and he doesn't realize it or he, you know, he works too much. So he doesn't know what's going out on there. But she said, I, I, I feel it. I, it worries me every time I see him do it. So I actually reported it to the hospital when they sent me my thing asking me to give a, I said, that doctor needs to be talked. He needs to be brought up to date on what the heck's going on out there. So that's just a, a really good example of somebody not knowing what they're giving out. You know what I'm saying? And that's scary. I think, um, it, you know, to kind of go along with the, the issue of um, also a big issue is over sedation of mental health patients, this kind of stigma that, um, you know, people are not, especially in a hospital setting, it's often, I would say, there's a lot of situations that can be de-escalated through talking and um, therapists being, and, and especially psychiatrists being educated in, I would say, what trauma-informed care really means. And, you know, it's kind of crazy because I did a practical experience out here and I watched some pretty horrible things happen at a hospital that I was doing that experience at um and then to go to a, a trauma treatment facility and watch patients that were even more aggressive than the ones being sedated at this hospital back here in New York be talked to like a human being and watch that actually de-escalate and not that long you know we're not talking and of course part of the issue is you know burnout and stuff but that's not an excuse to like abuse patients or abuse your power in being able to sedate them. And it's not unless honestly, I go to like a hospital in the medical side of things where I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, having a panic attack or something. And the first thing they're saying is like, we're going to give you some Ativan. And I'm saying like, I, you know, you, you, they're, they're already putting it in my IV before I could be like, I already took some, um, you know, obviously having too much of that can be really dangerous. And it's just, it's not always a conversation and a lot of it is communication. But like I said before, having somebody that, you know, I love very much who has a big problem with alcohol. One of the first things their doctor prescribed them was Xanax. And is Xanax a harmful medication? No, not when it's used properly. I need properly, but when it's mixed with things, it can be. Yeah. And to see that, it just makes me feel, um, it makes me feel stronger about, you know, what it is that I, I try to bring, which is unfortunately a big part of today is making sure that you are educated because you're going to know yourself, your body, your condition, and how you're going to react to things better than any doctor that you're going to be seeing unless you are seeing a specialist or someone who is very involved in your treatment. Correct. And that's one thing that I want to get out to people. And I, I'm pretty sure you'll agree with this. Um, is that you need to question, and it's okay to question. Um, if they have a problem answering your questions, they're not the right people that you should be seeing. Um, you need to do your own homework too. But, you know, I'm kind of iffy about that because some people like read stuff because, you know, they have to list everything and then it can scare them and then they won't take it. So, uh, you know what I'm saying? So then I go I'm back I'm the queen to, of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it kind of scares me too. There's, there's been things I haven't taken because of what I've read and, and look at the TV, 
you know, and I don't watch very much TV at all, but boy, I turned it on and they're always advertising some kind of medication, but they advertise the side effects. I'm like, well, who the heck's going to take that with all those side effects, which I know they have to do it, but still it's scary. So I, I just I think, think we that need that's to... the part of talking about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like for example, that medication that I had, rec you know, suggested to this person who's prescribing me a bunch of stuff. I'm able to say, oh, these two medications, the one he's recommending and the one I'm thinking of do the same thing. There's one particular side effect that I'm in favor of, but all it takes is someone to be on your treatment team and say, but I know that, you know, you know, you have a problem with this and let's talk about that. Or, um, exactly. you know, there are certain medications that you can't be on if you plan on getting pregnant and just having that open communication. And like you said, working with the right people that you can ask those questions. Hey, I found this when I did my own research without them getting offended that you're not just taking their opinion as, um, you know, like written Bible. It's like, those are the best doctors because you can talk to them like you're a human being who just wants to know as much information as possible and should. Mm -hmm. So recently um, I had interviewed somebody just fantastic, um, but one of the things I suggested to him, and thankfully he's done it, but he he quit counseling. He's got the, and that's why I brought that up, that derealization disorder. Um which he was finally diagnosed with after so many episodes of things and doctor after doctor. And um, so anyway, long story short, I I said to him, um, so are you, are you in any kind of counseling? I mean, I myself, and I'm not going through anything in particular, but I like to talk to somebody at least once a month, if, if it's even just to get things off my chest, you know, but somebody not, not a good friend that, that's going to just take my side, you know, or whatever, but some, somebody that I trust, um, but somebody that's listening, you know, just really listening and that I connect with and you're not going to connect with everybody. And so he told me that, you know, I, I was in counseling for three months, but it just wasn't doing anything for me at all. And I said, then you were at the wrong counselor. You know, you need to find somebody that you connect with. So don't stop because he, he really, he was communicating to me that he did need more, but he wasn't getting anything out of it. Do you understand what I mean? So you really, I don't want people to give up on that if, if they're finding, you know, themselves in that position and they're not getting anything, they should be getting something. So that just means, and it doesn't mean that that person's bad at their job. You just don't connect with them. So you find the one that does, if it takes five or six of them, whatever. So what do you yeah, think about Yeah, I that? think talking about those things with the therapist, like, you know, one of the therapists that I was seeing up until I got out of trauma treatment, where it was decided by my treatment team in New Orleans that it didn't need to see somebody else than who I had been seeing. But, you know, him and I had a very honest conversation and that was really hard for me to say to somebody, um, you know, I, I don't want you to feel disappointed or like you haven't helped me or, you know, but having those conversations in itself is part of what therapy is about. It's part of learning right. how to communicate and identify your needs and also not hold on to things that don't serve us without having to abandon them. And, him and I still have a, a positive, you know, 
human to human relationship that where, you know, I tell them how I'm doing every once in a while through an email, but um, I was able to see somebody after that who was really able to help me. And I think that that in itself is like, I think it's the communication and we all have a fear of rejection. And so then we fear that other people, we might hurt their feelings or something like that. But therapists, especially uh, good therapists, they're trained to just want to do what is the most ethical thing for you. And if they're not able to help you in that way, then hopefully that conversation is as simple as let me help find you some referrals, you know? Right. And I guess people need to know that they're, they're not always going to have a therapist that, that is perfect and that can accept that you're not, you know, you guys aren't the right fit, but that doesn't mean they're a bad therapist. You know, some of them take it personally. And I, I try to stress to people when they say, well, you know, I did try and they got, you know, upset. One lady even cried and, and said, you think I'm bad? You know, that's not professional, but it, no, that's like a human. red flag to me. <laughs> I know, but still we're human. You know, that reaction probably should have been afterwards at home, whatever. Yes. You know, it, you know, but it happens. Um, and you shouldn't feel bad about talking to somebody and saying, you know, I've, I've tried this. It's not working for me. So I think I need to try somebody else. It's nothing against that person, you know, but I, I need to stress that also to our listeners that to please don't give up and, and feel bad because we're already feeling bad, right? If we're going, we're already feeling bad. We don't need to feel worse. Because... <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, well, I, I want to get back and I don't know how much time you have. I, I have lots of time tonight. I just closed everything out for you. So, but we also don't want to like go so long that people don't listen because we want them to listen. Um, you are so, so easy to talk to though. I do. I'm enjoying this. Thank you. And I do too. Um, I'm so happy that people actually write to me and say, I want to be on your podcast because you're so real and easy to talk to. And supposedly I have a calming voice. I don't know. I don't know. I've had people fall asleep on the phone with me and I'm like, am I that boring? And they're like, no, it's your voice. It's just so, so soothing. So, and and maybe that comes with my practice. I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah. So I want to go back into then, I love music myself um, and I try to put on relaxing music, which is why I put on yours too, um, before I go to bed. Um, sometimes try to fall asleep to it as long as it doesn't keep playing because then it would wake me up. But like, so I'll set, you can set timers on them and that's, that's what I do. Um, your voice itself is soothing you probably know that, but I'm telling you, your voice is soothing. It's sweet. It's beautiful. Um, is Was that your purpose in, in singing was to help? I mean, I know your words. I know your words. So that's all to do with that. But did you always know that you had that soothing, comforting voice? It was so sweet. First of all, thank you so much. Um, no, I definitely had not been very encouraged. Like I didn't even get into like my high school 
um, like, you know, the select chorus or whatever it was, like I was constantly Are you saying you didn't that, make it or that you didn't try? I didn't, you know, I'd audition for bunch of different stuff and I was always told that you know my voice either didn't fit in or it didn't blend or I had more work I had to do or whatever it might be wow. and it wasn't wow. until I actually it wasn't until I mean I was I was playing shows and I was writing music I came out with my first album at 18 um and then you know when I won the the your big break competition I would say that was the first time where I was like, I'm, I'm like worth. And, 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 and I, I think that sounds bad because it's like, oh, because I won, but that's not true. It was just that I had never truly expected for anyone to see that much in me. And it was the first time where I was like, maybe I have a chance at this and going into the hospital, not too long after that, I realized my whole life has been trauma. And of course I don't want to live anymore because who would want to live like that? Right. And so I have to create a life that's worth living. And for me, that does look like music and the recording arts. And that is why I put two feet through the door doing that. And so in hearing that, don't you think that it we could tell our listeners that to find something that they really enjoy and put their concentration into that. I mean, I, I know that we don't want to ignore what's going on in our life, but we also don't want to dwell on it. So there's acceptance, there's getting help for it. And then there's doing something about it. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, any kind of hobby that they enjoy to me would be helping, you know, like you brought up the word painting and my painting isn't paint painting something that somebody would buy. Mine's painting a room. You know, I just get to painting and I put on music and I'm in my own world and relaxed. It's just relaxing to me. Somebody else would say that's hard work, you know, but for me, that's, you know, and gardening, putting my, putting my hands into the dirt and creating things makes me feel better. So I use I use that a lot when I can in the summer, in the spring. Of course, I live in a state, you know, that we have the horrible uh, winters, which I hate. But I also suggest to a lot of my people that they, you know, self-care stuff, a lot of self-care. Um, I I recently, well, two years ago, um went went through cancer treatment. And it was also during the COVID when we were shut down everywhere. And um, at the end of that, I, so I own a boutique. So afterwards, you know, we got opened up, but people were afraid to come out still. And, and it was like February and March. So it's in our winter months. We were still getting snow and the roads bad and whatever. Um, and I decided, you know what? I need a break. My, my chemo was done and everything, but it wasn't real strong. And I'm like, I just need a break. And so I took a self-love trip and I drove it. I didn't know where I was going to go except south. I was going to go south where it was warm. I had a lot of friends and cousins and family and everything in the south. But I all, I told them all, I'll give you a couple days notice before I stop in. 
And, you know, if you don't want me to stay, that's fine. But I'm just going to take this trip all for myself. And I'm going to tell you what, there was so much healing there. Um, I stayed in tree houses in South Carolina. Um, I took my kayak. I went all the way down to Marco Island and all by myself went through the Everglades on a kayak. I did so, I, I stayed in tiny houses, which was just adorable, um, on the beaches and a lot of times just by myself, you know, just praying and, and just accepting who I was and just really enjoying nature. I did a lot of nature stuff and that was so self-healing. Um, I really, really push that on people. You know, if, if, if you're having a hard time, I don't care what it is, take some self-care time for yourself. I mean, we got to do it. So do you ever get to do that? Do you ever get to just take care of you? Are you too busy now? <laughs> well, um, I think, I think the non-black and white answer, my first thought was like, no. And I'm like, well, it's more great than that. I think that there are things that I would like to do that I don't have the resources yet. Like, you know, still looking for a place to live and dealing with things like that, that when you're still in survival in a lot of ways, it's really hard to do the things that you might even know are healthier to do. But I would also say, again, not making it black and white for myself. There are small things that I do like my favorite color is blue. So like the background on my phone is blue and like my case is blue and just small little things to me, those are self-care because my whole life I was really, um, especially in high school, uh, in very vulnerable to being groomed by people that I had looked up to or turned to for safety. And so being told what I liked and how to wear clothes and how to do so for me, self-care can be as simple as taking an extra second to figure out what I actually want to wear that day or incorporating things that I've learned that I like or trying something new and figuring out what I don't like that for me is like self-care and and it is different for everybody what whatever whatever makes you feel better is the way that I take it tree 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 house sounds so cool though (laughs) it was and you know what I kind of went a little overboard because a lot of them didn't like you actually climb up a tree to get into them. I mean, they're stairs, but, and you're, so you're in the tree in a house though. So it's protected. Okay. From the rain and all that, but some of them didn't have restrooms. You, you'd have to go down to the resort office to use the restroom and take a shower or whatever. And I didn't want that. Like I wanted to spend a couple of days reading. Um, I was doing some podcasting while I was gone. And, you know, so then I have to edit and stuff. I do my own editing because I want to hear it over again. And I want to put my own little stuff in it. Um, and I didn't want to have to go all the way to the, you know, downstairs into the resort to do that. I, I brought my own food because I eat healthy. And a lot of times that's, you know, when you're on a trip, it's a lot of eating out, which I did some of that too, but I found stuff that was good for me. Anyway, so I did spend a little bit of extra money on getting one that, had the bathroom but that's it's really cool and and the kayaking was amazing and I found some springs that some uh manakees man mantakees that's that how you say that 
They actually know. look to me like sea lions, manatees, manatees. Oh, manatees. Yeah. Manatees. Yeah. Um, there was a couple that were st still in the springs and I got to actually swim along with them. I didn't know I was until I saw this girl with, that was like following one. And I, I didn't know she was following something though. Okay. When she came up, I'm like, how oh, are you enjoying your snorkeling? <laughs> and she said, actually, I'm keeping a camera on this man, man, manatee. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I said, what's that? I'd never heard of one before. And uh, she said, well, you can go ahead and look under the water. You'll see it. And I looked down and kind of looked like a sea lion to me. Um, you know, that big and with the whiskers and stuff. But she said, normally they're not here at that time of the year, but this one never left. And so, you know, everybody that comes here to kayak and stuff, we kind of have to be careful because we don't want to startle it or scare it or whatever. But it must have been used to people because, you know, I was like real careful not to bother it, whatever. I got out and I was walking this trail and I could still see the creek and stuff. And I looked down and there's, he was like going right by people and rubbing up against him. He wanted attention. It was pretty cool. So I stood there That's and watched adorable. for a long time. I know it was adorable. And, but I did say, well, I, I should have stayed in that water and let him come up to me, but I obeyed the rules. I'm a, I'm a rule obeyer. You're a rule so, obeyer. I like that. I am. And it's funny because I get made fun of it because I don't get in trouble. But I, I had, <laughs> I had, it's not that I'm perfect. I'm not at all. But I had older siblings that got in trouble all the time and they were grounded all the time and they got argued. And I watched that and I'm like, these are not, maybe it's I'm, because I'm logical, but I'm like, these aren't, these aren't hard rules to follow. I'm just going to follow them mm -hmm. so I can keep going out and doing my thing. You know, as long as I'm home by midnight and I'm going where I said I was going to go, there's no trouble. So, so my, my younger brothers make fun of me that I, the perfect child. And I'm like, I wasn't perfect. I just wanted to enjoy life. you know. So mm -hmm. no, I don't get in trouble very much. But it's just a logical part of me, probably boring to other people, you know, but regardless. Anyway, so the self the self-care trip for me did me wonders of good. The sunshine gives you a lot of good things. And you know, of course I didn't overdo it, so I burned, but it did it, it there's so many health <laughs> benefits there. There's there's vitamin C and vitamin D and you know, all those good endorphins that come out. So it's a wonderful thing to do. Um, I also stopped um, in Florida and I took some vitamin C therapy, uh, or not therapy, I'm sorry, um, IVs. And they gave me an IV. Those are amazing. Amazing. Of course, wow. the insurance doesn't always cover it. Mine did because of the cancer. But yeah, I know people that go and just get them to, you know, get healthy, period. So have, have you ever heard of those? I have heard of it, actually. Yeah, it sounds very uh, interesting to me. I was actually talking about it or something similar to my to my dad, because I was hoping that he would do something like that. But yeah, I've heard yeah. of it. The vitamin therapy, and it's not like you feel anything but better afterwards. 
So it's it's really a good thing, but insurance doesn't always cover it. I mean, you have to have something that, you know, like vitamin deficiency or immune system down or something like that for insurance to cover it. I have no idea what it costs if you just get it, but lots of people are getting it. So yeah. anyway, so what's your, first of all, I want to know, what's your favorite song that you have done? Well, um, uh, I'm going to give two. I'm going to give two. Okay. Um, the first one I would say is, I lied. I'm going to give three. The first one I would say is The Real You because it is a song about, it's track 10 on my concept album, The Process, which is about going through trauma and entering into the trauma recovery process. And it's track 10. So it's really about recognizing a sense of healthy love in the world and mm -hmm. what it might be like to accept that. And it's kind of a bit of a quirky, kind song, but it's one of my favorites for that reason. And then uh, Worth the Fight, which is featuring dmc of run dmc <laughs> so cool to be able to video. say that like, <laughs> oh yeah wow um and that's actually uh i just recently performed both of those songs on uh wonderama and my episode my first episode with them is going to be airing this sunday which is so cool um but they're going to be airing yeah that's channel nine and it's going to be 6 p.m on sunday if you're in est an EST, but on what channel? Yeah. You said uh, channel, channel nine, nine, but what is that? Because there's a no lot idea. of. <gasps> <laughs> find out. Do you know, like channel nine in your area? Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what? Um, like we have Direct TV. See, like everybody, if they use different networks, it would be a different channel. What's, yeah, a, what's the network called? What's the network called? I also don't know that. <laughs> I just know. Well, I'm going to look I it up for you. I think you can like look on one dramas. Yes, yes, yes. And, um, and uh, yeah, but the song Worth the Fight is uh, a bonus track to the process. And it is about overcoming suicide ideation and it's something that both myself and Daryl Daniels have dealt with and uh it's kind of like an anthem for anybody who is either has gone through that place or is going through that place and then the song that I wanted to say because it's coming out on Tuesday is okay. uh called Slaying Slaying Dragons is actually a re-release so you can listen to the original on my album The Process but it is also one of my favorite songs I've ever written Slaying. oh really Yes, because I listened to the whole album before we talked. <laughs> it's amazing. Thank you. Most people don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was really shocked when my junior in college said, oh, yeah, she's on my playlist. I was not shocked that he would like to listen to you. Just that, you know, well, to me, you were newer, but yet you're really not. You're just coming forward more so is that yeah. the right way to yeah, say that way to put it yeah yeah and and so I wasn't you know sure of like 
I didn't I didn't really know his playlist except that he mostly listens to country. Um and he he loves to sing himself, but he's too embarrassed. Anyway, um when he said that, I was like, really? And he said, Yeah, he said, I dad has it too. And I said, He already told me that. And I'm not with them when they're in the car, you know, except if we all go somewhere together. So, and then we're usually talking, you know, we're not listening to the radio. So I'm like, yeah, when I'm working back in my office, you know, I have my Spotify playing and of course I listen to podcasts on there too. So, um, but Spotify is my best. I, I just love listening to podcasts, but you're in my Amazon music too. Oh, that's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say? <laughs> I was going to just make a joke and I was going to say, depending on what song they're listening to of mine, you, you should check in on them. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Well, some of them are, you know, they're, they are cathartic for challenging emotional time. Okay. I I agree with you. The only thing is, I don't think there's anybody alive that hasn't had emotional times. If they were really yes. honest with themselves. No, totally. I think mostly, you know, the fact that I think that a lot of um, artists, uh, and this is not me, you know, sh shaming anybody because everybody's different and their comfortability level is different. But a lot of the time, mental health isn't talked about or written about until it's something that is being addressed in typically a PR way. And I think what's special about what I strive to do is talk about those things, not because there's just a crisis that has happened. And so writing a lot about struggling with suicidal thoughts and struggling with trauma, um, you know, it's not something that you hear every day. And so whenever somebody is like, oh, I have been listening to the sinking ship and this and that I'm always kind of like how are you doing you know and and I want to know why they resonate with the song obviously I'm not gonna typically ask but it always gives me insight into even sometimes it's uh kind of like what you were saying how you wanted to help people with substance abuse and addiction it's kind of like even if you haven't been through that the fact that they're listening to it they want to understand helps destigmatize the issue in itself so it it definitely makes me happy to know people are listening, but I always have that, especially as a new artist, I always have that curiosity of what they're thinking and what, what has driven them to like a particular song or something like that. Well, just on my end of it to begin with, before I knew what, what kind of songs you did, your, your voice itself brought me to, to listen more. So, Thank you. I, and I, I believe a lot of people will start out with the voices just so sweet and so calming and then they're going to hear the words a lot of times we hear the, the the sound the tones and that's that's what we're concentrating on first and then the words so well I'm that way anyway and I know a lot of people that are but then I, I also know a lot of people that know every single word of the song that they liked and you know, can tell you all about it. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that that was in there. You know, even I was just listening to the tone and, and the voice and it was just so relaxing. So um, there is one thing I want to clarify before we wrap it up. 
there's um so you you said cptsd and there's a lot of first of all just for my audience sake because i know what it is but can you tell them what what the difference with cptsd is to ptsd Yes. So CPTSD stands for complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, CPTSD is in a lot of ways, a type of PTSD because of the way we understand PTSD. And so people can uh, develop a post-traumatic stress disorder or um, a stress disorder after an event that was overwhelming to the central nervous system. So traumatic and there can be a, a, a set of distressing symptoms as a result of that traumatic event, even long after that event has happened. Right. But there are a lot of individuals who have experienced uh, multiple traumas or prolonged exposure to trauma, which can look very different. There's a lot of different uh, examples of that. And so because of the intensity, severity, and impact and frequency of the level of trauma that we're discussing, the symptoms can be very different. So instead of just, not just, but in, instead of having, for example, um, hypervigilance, we can mm -hmm. experience a series of reading into these deep meanings behind facial expressions or tone or mannerisms. Um, for me, it, it can often feel like one of the most anxiety provoking things can be just talking to someone new, just because I'm always worried that they think how I think and therefore they're reading into everything I do. And I've always assumed that people's brains were just like that, but it's type of survival. If you, especially if you've been emotionally abused, you tend to, you're, you, you learn to survive by looking into those little meanings. And so basically in my opinion, CPTSD is a lot of symptoms that are really what were coping mechanisms at the time of the trauma. Mm -hmm. okay. One of my highest listening podcasts is a gentleman that I interviewed on PTSD itself. However, just in me talking to him, and I think that was that life coaching behind me experience. Um, I found out a lot of different things about him that, you know, he had, but so it, he was actually saying that it, like he was in the war. Okay. And if, if I'm sure you know this, but a lot of people, when they hear PTSD, they associate it with somebody being in the war. Um, and that's not true. It's, it's any kind of traumatic event, you know, but it did, it did, I think, become in the beginning from men that were in the war. I'm, I'm pretty sure in terms of this. scientific research, yes. we first even only started to recognize what soldiers were dealing with when they came back. So I definitely right. think it's part of the stigma comes from the truth of how we've identified it being right. an illness. Right. But even though he was in the army, um, it was during that time that he had, he had a, a small amount of time of leave and then his wife became pregnant which that was all fine and good. Then it was time to have the baby. So he got to come home when it was time to have the baby and the baby died in birth. And so he had that happen. 
but he also had his wife who he, because they only gave him seven days. Um, he had his wife who was um, going through her own loss too. And she, she needed him and he needed her and he, they wouldn't allow him. They denied him when he asked if he could have longer time and they denied him that, but they were smart in this. Um, I, I can't remember. I think it was Tennessee where he had to go first to fly out of. And he asked for a um, chaplain to talk to. And he told the chaplain that he didn't feel, and this was the truth, he did not feel like he was mentally, because he was in charge of his, um, what's that called? Uh, your troop. And they were on first line. Um so it was like his, it was his job to keep his guys safe. And he didn't feel like he was capable of doing that yet. And that's what he told the chaplain. He said, my mindset isn't there yet. You know, I've, I've just lost a child. My wife has lost a child. She needs me. I don't feel like I'm capable of doing the job that I'm supposed to do. And that's, that's you know, people could die from me not making the right decisions so they did get him yeah. an extra an extra six weeks I think but that in him talking was his worst traumatic experience they that and thankfully thankfully that and this I love talking about this uh the first counselor when he got out um he went to for it because his wife told him like all the things he was doing he was like narcissistic um when she told him all the things that he was doing and that he needed help, he went to counseling, but he just didn't, you know, it didn't work for him. He, he didn't like the person. He, he, he didn't want to talk to them or whatever, but he didn't give up. So he did, he did get another one and that was amazing for him. And, you know, she talked him through the things and whatever. And, he went to her for 10 years, 10 years. And he's, you know, developed a wonderful life. Um, but he, you know, he knows all the things to do for it. When things come on, he knows the things that bring him on. And his mm -hmm. wife now knows all the things, you know, to help him with. There's just certain things you don't heal from. Okay. There's still like certain loud noises that put him into that. But his wife knows how to talk to him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And the kids do. So, but that's my most popular one listened to over and over again by people. And part of it is because I said to him, that didn't come from, from the army. You, you were like fine there. That came from something totally different. And then, and then I did tell him that he was kind of being narcissistic. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, well, you know, you're supposed to be honest. And I was honest and He's like, really? I've never been told that. And I said, well, can I do a second one? And let's hear your wife's side of this whole thing. That was hard. And that's my second most listened to. Well, actually, I think hers went a little bit above this week because they're still listening to it after a year. People go wow. back and listen to that. But her her idea of, you know, was totally different than what his was. And so, yeah, I mean, I had to stop a couple of times because she was crying and I let her because you should. It, it was a terrible experience. Um, but she also wasn't like down on him. She was just like, 
he didn't know this part was going on. So, you know, I, yeah. I had to, I had to tell him so he could get the, you know, help for it. But anyway, it's been fantastic talking to you. I think you're going to be a really big help to so many people in, in ending this, I want to ask you, so what do you feel like your biggest life struggles been? And can you bring it down to one thing or? I think that's it. I've never been asked that before. Um, A lot of them haven't been. I think I would say my suicidality because it for for me, um, and I understand that some people will not understand this, um, but for me, it wasn't something that I struggled with and then overcame. It's something that I learned is a symptom. And just like some people get um, low blood pressure, sometimes I have thoughts that I can't control and intrusive um problem solving that isn't actually problem solving and it can be uh really difficult because I know that no matter what I'm going to continue to go through different challenges in life and I'm going to continue to have to deal with things that have happened there's been as little as a year ago remembering things that I didn't even remember happened to me and the hardest part I think of my life, if I had to put it into one word, is um, I think at this moment would be saying how my brain sometimes jumps to how to deal with it. And even though what's happened to me is not my fault, my healing is still my responsibility. And that can be, it can turn into like a spiral of shame of you don't know how to handle this and you don't know how to, how to deal with this. And this is why people don't like you or, or, or whatever. And so it turns into this big thing for me. And I think that, um, if there's anything that I could identify, it would be learning, uh, well, continuing to manage it to a point where maybe it's not such a big impact in my life anymore. Good. Um, you don't sound to me like you blame your childhood or anybody else for what you're going through. Is that something you're holding back or is that, that really how you feel? Um, I think I, I've been told a lot by my treatment team that I struggle a lot with minimizing and mm -hmm. because I do struggle with dissociation, I think that sometimes it's easy for me to keep a distance between what has happened to me and, you know, I'm in recovery now and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And so it can be um, hard to stay grounded and connected, but I think that deep down there are moments, even just throughout the day where I am like, I should be angry about this and, or that, you know, just turning 26, I'm like realizing that an adult who was 42, you know, teaching my band class should have known better. And, and you start to realize certain things when you get older and you start holding people more accountable but I think that it's a process that I'm still trying to learn how to do without becoming like a bitter or angry person and see just on my end um, I think 
as a child, you know, that going through something, that's something that you need to talk about and say, you know, well, my mom did this or my dad didn't do this or whatever. But as we become adults, I think then it's time for us to go, okay, so this might have happened, but it's my responsibility now for myself to take care of it and quit blaming somebody else. Because I, I feel like if people continue to blame their childhood or whatever, that it's not helping them any. Putting blame on somebody anymore. I'm not talking about at a young age or whatever, because you need to talk about it, but you need to forgive and let it go and continue with your therapy, you know, fixing yourself. You know what I'm saying? Instead of keep going back on. Yeah. I think else. that, I think that blame for, and, and just like anything else, you know, it's what works for one person doesn't work for someone else. For me, my journey has looked like, um, not forgiving people and I think that again it's different for everybody but for me especially growing up I only ever saw things from other people's point of view and so I think that blame and accountability can be a little bit different or maybe the terminology can look like that but I think for a lot of trauma survivors including myself part of healing is um and I'm not necessarily disagreeing with what you're saying, but I think that part of healing for a lot of people can be learning to put the blame where it should have been versus, Instead you know, having yourself. grown up and thought, this is me, this is something that's wrong right. with me and realizing right. this person did something bad and um, I didn't deserve that. And what, and, and like you said, and, and coming back to what you said of how do I deal with that now? be in the present because I can't go back. I can't be angry then and finding ways to express that anger and allow yourself to feel emotions because the concept of, of the past is just the past, you know, is unhealthy. It's the past affects the present. So how have you, do you need to process that? And how have you processed that? And, you know, in trauma treatment, we have something called the anger room where you go in and you have to say a series of statements and hit something and learn how to feel healthy anger and realize it's a human emotion that's healthy and not a secondary emotion or whatever these other, you know, myths essentially are. But a lot of it is relearning and placing appropriate accountability. And, and, and again, for me was taking a step back from empathy and forgiveness to realize, you know, it's okay for me to be upset and not let it be something that I, I'm responsible. I'm not responsible for forgiving that person, but I'm responsible right. for forgiving myself for maybe how I reacted to it or didn't react to sure. it at that time. Yeah. And so I don't think you're disagreeing with me. Um, I actually think that we're right on the same page. And what, what I meant by that was, you know, for instance, I, I've talked to somebody that has said, you know, well, I think, I think I had, um, I got I got to think a second here what, what they keep calling it um all right well it's not going to come to me when I want to but what it is is like so as a child as a child this now, I was in a different you know age group and stuff so my life was different so maybe I you know I didn't look at it as bad but 
there's so many people that grow up with both our parents have to work. Okay. Um, both my parents had to work. There was five of us kids. Um, my mom and dad both worked. There was a time period where I was old enough where I had to be at home for the boys, the younger boys. So they had somebody that was older home for 45 minutes before both my, you know, one of my parents were home. And we knew, you know, there was, you, you go, you go home, you have a snack and you start your homework. And pretty soon mom or dad was home. I, I can't tell you how many people say that that traumatized them going home and not having their parents there after school. And that I'm looking at really, because that to me was just a normal part of what had to be done. And Today, there's hardly any parents that don't have to both work, you know, and yes, there are daycare centers and there's before and after school care and there's all that. We didn't have that. We were never left alone, though, like at a young age, then you had a babysitter. But when I was 13, I was perfectly old enough to be home 45 minutes to have a, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old at home for 45 minutes. And it, it wasn't traumatizing to me. You know what I'm saying? Um, other things were, other things were my parents, my parents' divorce was traumatized. I was, that's why I brought up the age. I was 13 years old. My mom got, um, and I'm not blaming her anymore for anything, but I did have to go to counseling and I did have to give her the blame. And the counselor gave her the blame. So if you think about this, so I went through divorce. She remarried within three months. We, I had to move out of our house. She sold the house. We had to move into another town, start a new school, and then live with a new man in the house. That's a lot on any group at once. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, my youngest brother started doing drugs then at that young age. He was set aside. She was in this new marriage in this new relationship. And she, and I'm not blaming her for doing this, but, you know, she was, I guess, newly in loved. And so, you know, that time when we got home from school, she was spending with her new husband, you know, and we were, we were ignored. We were ignored. And that that new man that came into our life was her life now and not us. So all all of us that were in that time period went through some pretty traumatic feelings. And, you know, I remember my mom saying that, you know, I was angry. Well, I was angry. Um, I was angry that all those things were taken away from me. And I was taken away from my best friends, you know, and moved into a new house and a new home new school and all that. And it was just a lot. And I was also going through the change, you know, um, a lot of hormones were going on there, but, you know, she said, you, you know, you need to see a counselor. So I said, okay. And so, you know, the counselor asked me what was going on. And when I told her, she's like, I need to call your mom in here. And she said to my mom, I, I don't mean to be mean but you are the one that needs to be sitting here and you're the one that mm. needs the counseling not your daughter she is going through perfectly natural things that you forced upon her that she wasn't ready for 
and that's a parent's mm -hmm. responsibility. So, but in that being said, that just somebody else realizing what I was feeling and that the anger that I had was okay, made me feel yeah. better. You know, not that I was looking for, oh my God, I'm so horrible. Somebody tell me I'm not, you know, um, but that my feelings were real. And I yeah. think that's really important. So, but five years later, I wasn't blaming her anymore. You know, that's, and that's what I was trying to say is, you know, we can't blame all of our lives once, you know, once you've dealt with it, they've dealt with it. Then at some point we have to let it go. It doesn't mean that we have to forget it. Some of the things that we go through, we need to remember, forgive, but remember so that we don't let it happen again, or we don't do it again. Okay. So there, there's a lot in there. But so I, I think we're on the same page here. You know, when Oh, yeah, no, 100%. And it's like, I, I can't even imagine going through that at the time that I have, you know what I mean? And then to be like, you were in that particular age range is so like, you're just developing a sense of identity, like that's so right. difficult in itself, before anything else. Right. And, you know, I, I remembered that so that I made sure that I was really, really watchful when my kids were that age, you know, and mm. I learned from it. So healed people, heal people. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, okay. Well, is there anything else that you would like to share with anybody that you think would help? Um, what about, I'm, I'm looking over the bio and I think there's a couple of places that um you're working with is that correct for mental health um yeah so i am a, an affiliate with um right now beauty after bruises which is a nonprofit organization that helps people like me who have been through complex trauma and have a trauma and or dissociative disorder they're one of the if not the only nonprofit that does that specifically and they help people get the resources they need so if or someone you love is struggling to afford or have access to care and they uh, do have a trauma and or dissociative disorder, then they can apply for what's called a therapy box, which is a project they're working on right now. And you can learn more about it by checking out my social media or their website. Okay. And is, is that only going to be in that state or is that going to be all over? All over. Okay. Are you aware of the federal government giving out a new number that 988 you can call? Um, 988, yeah, the, the new suicide hotline. Yeah, that's, I think that's super cool. Um, I like to tell people about that. Uh, not only are they helping somebody, but so you know how somebody moves and they just keep their, like I've had my cell phone, same number for 30 years. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. I could move and and that area code, because original, this is how they explained it to me. Um, whatever area code you call from, that's who they, that's where they connect you to talk to somebody. Yeah. Okay. Well, I could, you know, be in Florida and 309 is not going to come up Florida. So I'm going to, it's going to come up with somebody in Illinois. Um, but all you have to do is tell them. So they'll say right away, is, is are you from, you know, in my case, it would be yeah. Illinois. 
and then I say, no, I'm in Florida, then they immediately connect you to somebody in that state. So I think it's pretty cool that at least somebody has an emergency person to talk to if they need it. Yes. So, okay. Um, and so yours, so that, I guess that was kind of my question. So yours will be available for anybody anywhere. Yeah. So you could definitely, will there be a phone number? Uh, um, I believe that they communicate a lot in email and their contact information. They may have a phone number on their website, but um, I always, you know, right now I'm doing an entire series about the therapy box and I'll be making a video of how to apply for it and stuff like that. But that's that stuff that is already on their website. Um, so yeah, is that going to be a YouTube video? Yeah, you know, it's... Okay. It's on their website, but I try to put visuals to the stuff because some people really struggle with the reading or the attention like me. So, um, yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So I'll make sure that I put that in, in our podcast, you know, so they have a place to go to. Um, your bio, by the way, is perfect for me. I can't wait to put it all in. A lot, you'd be surprised how many people read that. They really do. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So all this information, I might have to cut some of it down because I don't know if it'll all go in there, but I'll, I'll pick the most important things out um, and the websites to go to. And then, yeah. and you've got, of course, your media inquiries. So um, yeah, is you don't talk to people individually, correct? Um, I did for a while. Um, and if someone reaches out, I'll typically help point them in a direction, but it has gotten a little bit more challenging to take on as many individuals and make sure that I can, you know, but if somebody, especially if they're in the trauma community and I can always help put them in touch with beauty after bruises, um, or NAMI, I typically will help them get in touch with the local chapter and then have someone who is a little bit more qualified to help them jump in. Okay. Well, I think we've covered a lot. It's been really enjoyable talking to you. Um, so I'll probably have this out next Monday. Cool. Okay. Um, and I will let you know so that you can share it. And yes. so it'll be on Spotify. It'll be on Amazon Music. It'll be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, CastBox. I think I have like 11 different ones in Red Circle. So I have a lot of different ways that people can listen to it. Okay. And then you can help spread it once I give it to you. So of course. Yeah. Helping people, right? Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I'm so glad Higgy introduced us because this was just super awesome. I know. He's great, isn't he? Yes. He's such a such a kind person. Now, you know, I, I interviewed him too early on but before he came even bigger and did bigger things. No, I didn't. I'm going to have to watch that. Yeah, you'll have to go back and look at it. Yep, sure did. <laughs> that that's why he he actually said that I should talk to you so he knew wow. like we did the same thing you know we could just talk forever so 
now he probably wouldn't have the time of day, even though he'll like like my stuff and he'll say hi once in a while. But anyway, so keep doing what you're doing. I'm so proud of you. And um, thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. And I will continue to listen to you and spread the word. Thank you very much. I hope you have a good night. You too, hon. And be safe. Bye. All right. You too. Good night. Bye. And that's another wrap. Thank you, all of my listeners, for listening to not just this podcast, but going back and listening to the beginning and all the way through. One of the ways that I suggest you do that, this is just what I do because there's a lot of people that I follow with their podcast, I'm a big person on supporting other podcasters. And today that seems like it's just more the popular thing to do than to sit and watch movies or, or whatever. There's so many things you can learn out there. So for me, I usually put one on, I go to Spotify and I choose one that's longer and I play it while I'm driving somewhere. So that's just a suggestion. I also would like to ask you, please, if you're done listening to this, if you'll rate us, which is up by that little star thing. And also if you would hit that bell button up there and that will notify you then every time we drop a new episode, please share this as much as possible. These podcasts are to help other people to not only get hope, but also to maybe listen to some of the ways that these struggles were conquered and maybe they can try them. Remember also that what is said and all these podcasts are just the individual's words. And I don't mean that in a minimal way at all, but it, if you need medical advice, you need to get that. If you need to seek help, you need to get that. Thank you so much again. And hopefully you'll come back and listen to us. We love having you.